So I want to just continue looking at uh, this morning some key scriptures that speak to why we worship God. Um, and there's a couple of favourites that I've got. Uh, and I did, I think I shared one of my opening kind of riff uh, beginning of last year. But I just love this passage. So indulge me if you've heard this before. Um, the rest of it's relatively fresh, I think. Um, but uh, one of the most, there's a couple of moments in scripture where it's like the curtain is pulled back and people on earth get a wee glimpse about the heavenly realm in terms of what's happening right now. In the Western mindset, we've often had this weird thing where heaven is up there and earth is down here and hell's down there or some, you know, some kind of... But Jesus didn't speak about heaven in those terms. He talked about the, the kingdom of heaven being near, being close. It's like a, a dimension we can't see, but it's actually present. And there's a kind of realm that we kind of can sense, but we don't see. Uh, the Celtic people have talked about thin places. Certain places where it feels like, ooh, this is holy. It's like the t- heavenly tingle is easily felt in this sort of space. And often as you go into churches where people have been worshipping for a long, long time, you walk into houses where people have been faithfully serving the Lord and seeking Him, it's like, oh, this is a thin place. Um, uh, The church that, the first church I kind of pastored, I co-led it with a friend of mine, was in um, Cuba Street in Wellington. And um, there was a really dodgy um, nightclub next to the, um, the, uh, the building. I won't mention what went on there. It was, it was uh, horrific. Uh, there's, you know, there's sifty and there's sifty. And, uh, and then the park around the church was called, um, was Glover Park in Wellington, but it used to be called, it was basically Glue Sniffers Park. You know, it was like where all the glue sniffers hung out. And I've got a few of the boys that, well, I've got some mates here that uh, will verify I'm not exaggerating. And so um, we moved into this little building right in the middle of Wellington, and you could feel like it was a bit tough initially. Like it was, we be, you know, we'd, we'd begin to worship and it was like, it felt like it was a bit hard work to kind of, but you know, worship isn't about just our emotions and feelings, so we'd choose and we'd, and we just, we just, we had 24 hour prayer meetings there and we would just pray and worship. And fast forward, um, you know, six or, uh, no, no, two or three years, sorry, by the, time we'd been there for a number of years the park was a place where everyone would choose to go for lunch because it was just it just had been beautified and turned into this beautiful kind of space the nightclub had moved off somewhere I'm not too sure where and it was just this it was just a beautiful place all of a sudden now this may be stretching it for some of you, but I'm convinced that there's something about the kingdom of God that just begins to break in when people just begin to worship God and seek Him, and it becomes a place where the Holy Spirit's welcome. And I think darkness just starts to flee from those sort of environments. Uh, and so this is why worship is so beautiful and important, because it changes the atmosphere. There are times when we see Paul in prison. And what does he begin to do? He begins to worship and sing hymns. You know, now this isn't just prison like New Zealand prison. This is Roman prison. This is no natural light. This is, I've been beaten. This is, I am in chains to the wall. This is a horrific environment. And so what do you do in those places? 
It's like we've got to get something of heaven into this place. We've got to get something of heaven. So we're going to worship. We're going to sing songs to the Lord. And so if you're going through tough times right now, just crank up the Hillsong, crank up the Bethel, crank up whatever flavor you're into. Yeah, yeah. Crank Joanne's CDs, which we need to get out the back there or something, Joanne, or whatever to sell. But just start to begin to, to pray. And, to, and sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes I don't have the energy to like push through. So I'm going to crank the CD, they can get, the, get some movement for me, you know what I mean? So sometimes you just got to just make that initial choice, but it begins to change the atmosphere as God is glorified. And as we said last week, he begins to inhabit the praises of his people. I'm going to have to move a lot quicker because none of that was on the, on the notes. In Isaiah chapter 6, we get this glimpse of, of what's happening right now in this heavenly realm. It says this in Isaiah chapter 6. Is that working, Cass? Or? Oh, okay, do you want to just bang some buttons and see what happens? It doesn't matter. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, which are these angels, each with six wings, with two wings. Chris, do you want to help? Okay, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Yeah. And at the sound of the voices, uh, the, the doorpost and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Um, so let's pause there. So seraphim are not the little chubby angels that you stick on Hallmark cards or at the top of your Christmas tree. Seraphim are hardcore angels. Uh, Sarah, you've got to try and imagine the tallest building you've ever seen. These angels are bigger than that. You've got to try and imagine all the sound systems, ironically, all in one room, dialed up to 11. These seraphim are louder than that. And then you've got to imagine every nuclear weapon, every bomb, every, every firecracker, everything like that compressed into one space. And these angels are more powerful than that. Like if an angel, a seraphim, and occasionally you see in the Bible, huge deal. If, if they turned up right now, like bang, a seraphim stood before us, the sheer glory of that angel would see us incinerated, I suspect. Like it's just, these are hardcore beings. Hardcore beings. They are powerful creatures. And so what's happening in this passage, Isaiah sees just for this moment what's happening in that heavenly realm. And he sees these angels. And how were these angels behaving in light of the holiness and the glory of God? With, they've got six wings. Let's have a look at the next picture, Cass. The six wings. Uh, this is, you know, obviously some guy trying to, trying to capture this. It just never does it justice. But with two wings they cover their body, with two wings they cover their face, and they've got to fly somehow, so they're having to use the other two just to stay in the air. And they can't even look at the holiness and glory of God. They just say to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. And as they say it, the temple's like... This is what Isaiah sees. And this is what's happening right now in light of the holiness and the glory of God. Now, how do you feel when you see that when you're Isaiah? It's like, ooh, okay, ooh. Immediately his reaction's correct. I, woe is me, I'm ruined. Great line. 
For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Almighty. And, and then, like this angel comes and flies over, and with this coal from the altar, and touches his lips, and says, This has touched your lips, and from the altar it's come. Your guilt has been taken away, your sin has been atoned for. And it's this unbelievable moment of both the holiness and the grace and mercy of God. As we come into his presence, all of us are unworthy. And the more you feel that, the better Christian you are. But God doesn't keep you there. He pours upon you his grace and mercy. And the more you feel that, the better Christian you are. He's come to set the captives free. He's come to set you free. And so he doesn't want to leave you feeling stinking sinful. He wants to leave you feeling whole and holy like he is because he's atoned for your sin. His mercy and his grace are enough for you. They are, it is enough. And so you can rejoice in that and respond in worship. The second, uh, well, there's a whole bunch of moments in Scripture which we, we don't have time to um, smash through because I, I want to give us time to not just talk but to worship Him today. Um, but it's freaky when you look at how similar these images are, written hundreds of years apart by different authors, in terms of what people see in these particular moments where the, the veil is just lifted and it's like, whoa, that's what's happening right now. Uh, and so obviously we've got um, John. The, uh, the, the disciple John, who uh, has this revelation, which we find in the book of Revelation. Now, just a little side note, following Jesus isn't easy. Uh, don't believe anyone who says that it is. It's all just rosy and sweet. We've got a battle going on against the flesh, the world, and the enemy. We've got this thing in our flesh, Paul said, just longs to do naughty things. Loves doing the naughty things. Give me another cream bun, right? So, oh yeah, here we go, or whatever your thing may be. So there's a battle there. I'm not, I'm going to choose the path of life. I'm going to choose the path of life. We've got a whole culture pushing against us. We've absorbed values and worldviews that we're blind to because we've just grown up in a sewer. And God's slowly transforming us from glory to glory, but it's challenging. And we have a very real enemy who wants to ruin lives. And he's doing a pretty good job at times of ruining lives. But God is greater, infinitely greater than any work of the enemy, right? But the reality is for the disciples that following Jesus cost 11 of them their lives. Uh, sorry, ten, well, you know, if you can't Judas, I suppose, that was a choice. But 10 of them their lives, and apart from John, who lay dying and suffering on the island of Patmos. Yeah. <laughs> like, ooh, yay, like, pick me, like, ooh, sign me up. You know, we've got it easy in New Zealand on so many ways, and we're grateful for the freedom we've had, and people have fought for that, and all that sort of stuff. But it's a battle, guys. We're going to normalise that. We're at war. But by the power of the Spirit and with, the, uh, with God who's for us, not against us, we can overcome. Okay? But here's John on the island of Patmos. Next slide. And we've got him. Um, sorry, when you coffee for personally. Uh, so yeah, we've got a little island of Patmos there and we've got these different churches here that he's writing to and most likely he's in this cave but he begins to see what Isaiah saw. Hundreds of years later he sees a very similar thing. So Revelation 4, after this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I had heard first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place at after this, and at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. 
Next slide. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice... Oh, no, I've already said that. The unifying thing... Uh, go to the next slide. The unifying thing throughout these opening uh, passages within Revelation is the throne. There is a king who is on the throne. It's referred to over 40 times. John sees the, this king on the throne that people are worshipping around. But it's so stunning what he says here. In verse 3 it says, And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper. Next slide. Of Jasper and Ruby. Next slide. <laughs> yeah, he's on it now. Uh, so we've got, all of a sudden you're going to notice all of these colours and pictures start to come through. But here's a picture of some Jasper. Uh, Revelation verse 21, it says this, verse 10, And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Again, good theology, heaven comes to earth. We don't escape to heaven one day. That's the whole point of the Christian faith. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel like jasper, clear as crystal. The Greek word there for jasper, iaspis, refers to a translucent rock or crystal, probably a diamond. And so you have this vision here of this king on the throne with the jasper. And then you have the diamond, this picture of like this throne of diamond uh, and this beauty, this royalty. Let's back, go back to Revelation 4. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. So let's have a look at ruby. Cash. Oh, he's on it today. He's, got, he's busy doing well. He's smashing it. Well done. So you've got jasper and ruby, and a rainbow shone like an emerald uh, encircling the throne. Next slide. And next slide. So you've got rainbows and jaspers and diamonds and rubies. Revelation 4, and from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These uh, are the seven spirits of God. Now let's quickly just try and get our heads around that. Because I was like, what's going on there? Revelation's very metaphorical. And it's like, well, is this going on an LSD trip? Or is it in the spirit? Or what's going on here? But I don't think they had LSD back there, back then. So we're pretty confident it was the Holy Spirit. And so you've got all this kind of imagery and colours going on. And seven uh, was this always a uh, picture of perfection in the Bible. And so it's not saying like you've, you know, God's got seven different spirits. Most commentators are convinced that when it talks about the seven spirits of God, it's actually talking about the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? The, the Holy Spirit. And so in front of the throne, there was what looked like the sea of glass, clear as crystal. Now, interestingly for, uh, next slide, Cass. Next, uh, interestingly for, so you've got the thunder and the lightning uh, going on, and then you've got the sea of crystal. Um, the, in front of the throne, seven lamps are blazing. Next slide. Uh, and so you've got like this fire going on around it. Next slide. Uh, and keep going, Cass. Uh, and so then you've got like the seat. Now for John, like we're used to a mirror where you can just see the reflection. And John's day, there was nothing like that. So he sees what we would just go, oh, that's like a mirror. But for him, it was like, oh, wow, it's like crystal, but it's reflective. And so, again, try and get your head around this. In this moment that John's seeing, there's colour and rainbows and flashes of lightning and this thunder. And all of this is amplified by this, uh, by this crystal uh, glass there. Um, Robert uh, mounts, again, all of these are very boring academic texts, but he says, Its crystal surface stretches out before the throne, reflecting the flashing many-coloured light from the throne, 
furnishing a surface for the activity around the throne. And then in Revelation 5, as we continue through the text, Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel, a seraphim, proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. This is so dramatic. Because we know, if we continue reading the text, and everyone knows in heaven there is one who is worthy. He's about to turn on the scene. But it's like, you know, the angel's like, who can open it? And it's like, no one can open it. No one's worthy to open that scroll. And it's like, no. (laughs) It's all this dramatic moment. And then one of the elders says, do not weep. See, the Lion of Judah from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Yay! Can you sense the dramatic kind of vibe that's done? It's like a theatre production. You've got lights and you've got thunder and you've got sea of glass. And who can open it? And, then the, and it's, not the, it's the Lion of Judah who comes in the form of a vulnerable lamb. He's the one worthy. Then I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne and circled by the four living creatures and the elders. And this is so hardcore, right? And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes and the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Again, it's perfection, the work of the Holy Spirit. And he went and took the skull from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb. And each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the people. Let me pause quickly there. Many of you have been praying for family members, for health, or for some breakthrough. I don't know why all prayers aren't answered. I don't. And that's one of the questions we're going to be, you know, hopefully asking God, depending on how it all plays out. You know, everyone's got the imaginary, look, God, why didn't you heal my brother, you know? Or why didn't, you know, what happened there? You know, and so I'm hoping we get an answer. But here's what's so beautiful. Every single prayer is poured out like incense before the Lord. So if you think you've just been praying and it's like not it's like hitting the ceiling and falling back to the ground. It's not. The prayers of the saints are poured out like just incense before the Lord. The sweet fragrance as we look to Him and ask Him and, and, and beg Him at times, come Lord, change the situation, heal that person, I need breakthrough in that life. And he, I believe He answers prayer. But there's a mystery as to why sometimes He doesn't. When He could. That's the great question we all have to sit with. But the, the thing that gives me one measure of peace is the sense that at least my prayers are just poured out before the throne. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Listen, again, we've got a few people going to like this. I've said this before. In Revelation, John never sees some monocultural expression of worship. It's not like we're all turned Jewish the minute you die, okay? Because everyone thinks everyone's going to be a white fella, up, you know? The, the, the colonial mindset is that everyone has to become white, right? Which is, but in heaven, what does John see? Tribes and tongues and nations expressing their worship to God. So when we get to heaven, there's going to be the Scottish on the bagpipes. 
Thank you, Nan. I was waiting for Nan, and I've got Scottish roots big time. So you get those bites going, and I'm like, I'm twitching, and I'm like, you know, and I'm like, it's, it, it's right into my core. I'm like, yeah, here we go. Other people are like, what's the difference between a bagpipe and a lawnmower? You can tune a lawnmower, right? So it's like, sounds like, but here's the thing. Kapahaka, Māori Waiata, you know, all, it's all going to be just expressed in these different types and we want to see a picture of that begin to manifest itself here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on earth. And then I looked and heard the voices of many angels, this is happening right now, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. The actual Greek word there is myriad. There is a myriad. It's the highest number known to the Greco-Roman world. And so they would say things in the commentary from Craig Kenner, 10,000, why they say 10,000, it was simply the largest number for which the Greek language afforded a ready term. So the plural in the Greek of 10,000 times 10,000 is saying is a handy way of saying it was innumerable. So John's looking at just an innumerable number of angels just worshipping him. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. And then on, I heard every creature on he, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. This is just, it's so decadent. Revelation's chocker with this. It's almost identical pictures to what we see in Ezekiel. Identical pictures to what we see in Daniel and frequently similar to what we see in Isaiah chapter 6. Every time the curtains pull back, we see this unbelievably extravagant worship. Next slide, Heaven, all the stuff I've said looks more like this than it does this. Next slide. I mean, this is, these are all good pictures. Now, the reason I say this is because some of you are rejoicing we've lost our sound gear and don't like lighting stuff, okay? Now, I'm... The point of this whole little sermon message is that it's not about gear, it's about our heart. But there has always been this expression of human creativity in worship, using the very tools that God has given us to give Him glory and to worship Him. There have been in church history some people that have said anything except for the Bible is, is extra and we shouldn't have it at all. Um, uh, very strict reformed Moravian types would do this. In fact, I've got a picture of a Moravian church. And so their whole thing is, because again, you've got to take this to the logical extreme. Some people have been like, I, look, the reality is your pastor loves subwoofers, okay? I'm sorry, <laughs> I do. I love feeling the kick drum when that bass drops, I've died and gone to heaven. So you're going to be in a church that's probably going to replace the subwoofers at some point, okay? That's my whole thing. Now, if you don't like a church with subwoofers, there's plenty of other churches in the region that don't have subwoofers, if that's your cup of tea, right? But... Remember, it's our hearts. But here's my point. If, if you're like, oh, it's been really fun stripping it back, awesome. But the problem is if you take that to the logical, theological yeah. conclusion, the church winds up looking like this. Yeah. Where how far do you have to strip it back before God is pleased? 
And interestingly, that's not how most of church history has operated. If we go to the next slide, we'll see things like this, the Sistine Chapel, where Michelangelo spends his life painting these glorious pictures to the glory of God so that when you walk in them, there's something in your soul. Remember, no TV, nothing like this. You walk into that and people were overwhelmed with the, with the detail and the art and all of it telling the great story of Scripture and of God's redeeming love. And so people will be overwhelmed by that. And you walk into, like, Kieran's not here today, but Kieran, who uh, is in our church, he works, runs a sound company. I, I remember having massive heart-to-hearts with him back in the day, and, he, and I'm like, what's, what's the call on your life, mate? Like, what, do you, what gets you out of bed? What do you, what do you think God's got for you? And he's like, he says, I want to create environments where it's easy for people to encounter the glory of God. And he does that with lights and with screens and with sound systems. Like, that's the way he feels Now, again, I'm not personally a massive fan of, like, you know, smoke machines and strobe lights in church. But I've got no problem with churches that are. And, you know, Steve Graham, uh, one of my friends who's amazing, he's spoken here last year, amazing intellectual guy. Most of his talk is ripped off from him and the stuff that he's taught me on worship. He, um, he was at a meeting, he's part of the Equippers movement. He's at a meeting where there's like mosh pits and like strobe lights and smoke machines and um, praise grenades. <laughs> you know, whatever. You know, and it's like, and so he's standing there like a good vineyard boy. You know, just going, this is just hype. This is, this is hype. And, and he's a bit cynical about the whole thing. He gets up to preach, um, and they discover that like half a dozen kids have been healed of self-harm scars in the mosh pit before he said anything. And he felt like God rebuke him, say, who are you to say what's real and what's not? And honestly, even if it is hype, do you know how tough it is to be a teenager these days? Yeah. To be in church and having a mosh pit, even if you're not thinking about Jesus, that's the worst of it. Sweet as. I pray we've got a little youth group mosh pit one day, right? You know? Where it's like, at least the kids are having a great time, safe place, and at least an environment where them Jesus is going to mention. It's a good start. But my point is this ultimately, it's about our hearts. But then it's also about the human expression of how we adore him and worship him with all the things that he's given us. And so artists and authors and creators in our church, go for it. I mean, this is one we've got to keep praying God gives us a venue because I'd like it to be a modern Sistine Chapel, right? Where it's not going to be old school, it's going to be New Zealand and it's going to be us and there's going to be things that just speak to the beauty and the majesty of God because we're made in his image and he's a creator God. And we use that. That's why we, music's always been part of worship. In the Old Testament, it was song. I mean, the band in Chronicles is insane. Thousands of trumpets. It's just epic. This huge kind of like monster band that's playing to worship God. And all the nation just singing praises to God. And the glory of God comes and fills the temple. I mean, this is just what we're wired to do. And we find our home... Uh, in that place that's enough talk today we're going to worship him and we're going to sing Revelation song to begin that time together but here's as, as the band come up here's the, what I want to just say we this morning we join in with that heavenly song get your heads around that church our little offering this morning joins with heaven's song around the throne of God saying you're worthy to receive it all.
We join in with seraphim this morning, pouring out praise to God. Isn't that incredible? And so we give our hearts this morning to the one who is absolutely worthy to receive all of our worship and praise. Let's stand together and worship him. Father, we just thank you that we get to see a glimpse of what is happening in the heavenly realm in the scriptures. And Lord, I pray that this would be a thin place. I pray, Lord God, that we would just encounter your presence here. And so, Lord, as we just spend this time now just in worship to you, come and fill this place with your presence. Lord, we acknowledge that you want us to offer our hearts to you, regardless of whether we feel sort of spiritual or not. So we do, Lord. We just offer our hearts to you. But, Lord, as you respond to our worship, I pray that we would inhale a fresh revelation of the glory and the holiness and the power of God, and in turn we would exhale our praise and worship.